Public education. Public education is a political hot potato right now, right? Uh, should we have school vouchers? Should we not have school vouchers? There's a lot of people saying, you know, man, public education is broken. We should fix it. So try this, change that, don't do those things. So in any given year, if you're an educator, you have 25 to 30 new initiatives that you get to do. 25 or 30 RTIs, ARCs, new reading interventions, new math manipulatives, new songs in the hallway if you teach the little people, now I know my ABCs, you know, and all this stuff that's part of it. Um, if, do you want to know, though, what's really important? If you teach, say, kindergarten, first grade, it hasn't changed in 50 years. It hasn't changed in 100 years. They'll all tell you, teachers will tell you, the number one thing, they got to learn to read. They got to learn to read. Anything else, reading unlocks science, it unlocks logic, it unlocks all this other stuff. You got to learn to read. See, they know what's important. But the problem is when it comes to public education, not everyone understands that not everything is equally important. In 1987 and 1988, I worked for Tom Raper RV. And part of my job was to rehab, refurbish old RVs and make them look like they only went to the campground once or twice. And so the first summer that I had that job, I got in trouble with Mr. Raper two weeks into the working season. And I was summoned to Mr. Raper's office. And I was panicked because I was like, I've been working hard. I need this job to be able to pay for the first semester of tuition, and now I'm going to get fired. And, you know, I was scared to death. And I go in, and it's stereotypical mahogany, like wood paneling, giant desk, you know, all these awards from the civic organizations. And he's got the chair that creaked with leather, you know, when he moved in the chair, okay? And so Mr. Raper's like, son, come up here. So I walk over to the desk, and he goes, you've been taking too long on these RVs. You're doing, it's taking you a whole week to do an RV. Listen, not everything is important that we've already outlined for you guys in the body shop. What the key things are to refurbish for high resale value. You get two days. That's what you get, two days. Whatever you can do in two days, you do. On the third day, it goes to the lot. <laughs> Apparently, when it comes to refurbishing RVs, not everything is equally important. I was spending a week, and I had those things flawless, baby, but I was taking five days. Got me in trouble. Uh, a couple of years ago, I went to a lecture. Um, I was a part of a thing that Central Baptist Hospital was doing, and the head of surgery gave the talk before my talk. So the head of surgery, and he gets up there, and through his message, he's talking about the fact that they have different scrub colors. Apparently, that's a thing. One department has purple. The other department has red, and so... You know, I guess there was conflict that when you were subbing for a buddy in their department, you wore your department. It was confusing people. And so he wades through that and some other things. And then he gets passionate like a Pentecostal preacher. And he goes, listen, we have people dying of infection in our hospital because you're not washing your hands. We have got to wash our hands and this has got to change. And da -da. I was sitting in the front row and I wanted to become Pentecostal and go, preach, preach, because when I'm 60, I'm going to have a procedure <laughs> and I want you to wash your hands, <laughs> okay? Apparently, when it comes to successful surgery, not everything is equally important. It matters more that you wash your hands than it does what color scrubs you wear. Students, you know this is true. If you're a student and you're in a classroom, 
Have you ever had a teacher, a professor that insisted every chapter in the textbook is very important, critically important? You need to outline the, the chapter in the textbook. When they go and they're lecturing, you're like, is this, is this important? Do I need to know this? And they, yes, you need to know this. They think that every slide, everything they're telling you, what's the one question that you can ask that blows all the smoke away? Sir, ma'am, will this be on the test? Exactly. And if it's not on the test, I'm not remembering this for the rest of my life. <laughs> okay? When it comes to school, not everything is equally important. This principle is true in virtually every area of life. If later this spring you decide to go whitewater rafting, you're going to be asked, first of all, to sign a waiver. I've, I've, I've attached a copy of what, 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 what a waiver will look like, okay? And I've highlighted the key section that you need to pay attention to if you decide to go whitewater rafting later this spring. The risk of injury from activities involved in this program is, what's the word there? Significant, including the potential for permanent paralysis and what? Death. Death. You need to know this. Now, when you, uh, I want to cover this word significant. Significant having, uh, having, having or likely to have influence or effect of a noticeably or measurably large amount. So let's go back. In other words, there's a noticeably or measurably large amount of risk that you will get paralysis or death if you go whitewater rafting. Connect the dots, okay? So you're going to show up, and you're going to put on all this gear, and there's going to be some guy who's, there's going to be some guy who's 19 years old in a pair of chacos giving you a set of instructions, okay? Eight or ten things. Let me tell you, of all those eight or ten things, there's one thing you need to know. One thing. If you fall out of the boat, it's feet first, nose and eyes to the sky. Feet first. Nose and eyes to the sky. Say that with me. Feet first, nose and eyes to the sky. You want to know why? Because the river's going really fast. And if you bonk your head, even with the helmet on, you could become unconscious. Nose and toes to the sky means you're sucking wind, not water. That means instead of a body floating along the surface of the water, it's a living person. And that's to your benefit, okay? So feet first, nose and toes to the sky, okay? So not everything that the guide tells you uh, when you go whitewater rafting is equally important. Unfortunately, you and I and a lot of Americans spend a whole lot of time and energy on stuff that really isn't all that important. So today, today, as we get moving toward Easter, I wanted to just give you and me an opportunity to stop and think, stop and pray, and stop and listen. Okay? Basically, I want you to leave here this morning with one thing, one thing, one thing that you believe you should do that you should, that should get your best time, energy, and effort over the next two to six months. One thing that if you succeed, if you accomplish it, could bring about the greatest amount of positive change in your life. One thing, because not everything is equally important. Did you know that not everything in the Bible is equally important? Did you know that? Some of you are like, wait a minute, I grew up Baptist just like you, Max, and that strikes me as heretical. Well, no, not everything in the Bible is equally important. In, in other words, some doctrines 
are actually more important than others. Some character traits are more important than others. According to the Bible, it's actually more important to have faith than it is to have wisdom. According to the Bible, it's more important to love than to prophesy. So even within the context of truth with a capital T, some things are more important than others in the Bible. We see this play out time and time again. We're going to be in the book of Joshua today. So if you brought a paper Bible, I want you to open it to Joshua chapter 1, the first chapter. We'll also put these verses on the screen. Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, the Israelites are about to enter the promised land, the land that God had promised years ago, the land that they had been waiting to take, and, and they're just about to get into the land, a land that they were afraid to enter 40 years earlier, all right? So we're going to go through this verse by verse, and it's first, first uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 9 and following. This is my command. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you'll cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. If you've ever tried to serve God, verse 9 makes total sense. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Fear and discouragement come when you start serving God. It, it's part of the program. It happens. Uh, but notice Joshua is not alone, and neither are you. The other thing, Joshua gives orders. He gives orders for the, them to make preparations to cross the Jordan. Once they cross the Jordan, which, by the way, is at flood stage, so think the whitewater picture from a couple of slides ago, okay? Flood stage. They're going to cross this thing. Once they get across, there's no more manna. They're going to need to have their own food provisions. So they're packing tents. They're packing, gathering food. They're getting ready. And, oh, yeah, they're having to carry weapons because once they get across the Jordan, they're going to be fighting. All right? Verses 12 through 13. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, Remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. The Lord your God is giving you a place of rest. He has given you this land. Now, the two and a half tribes he's talking to, they're already there. Where they're, on, where they're at right now, that's the land that Moses outlined for them. They're there. They've already made it. They don't have to cross the Jordan. The land of rest, the, the Hebrew word is ruach, freedom from threat, a state of all-around well-being. And they're already there. But look what Joshua asks them to do. Your wives, children, and livestock may remain here in the land. Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River, but your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has given you rest, and until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then... May you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. Joshua is asking them to give up temporarily what they already have in order to help the nine and a half other tribes take the land that's supposed to be theirs. And I got to wonder if anybody in the entire camp of Israel in this point is thinking to themselves, you know, 
it's not so bad on this side of the Jordan, right? I mean, I wonder if there's enough room. I think we could make this work. Couldn't we make this work? Like, that's a flood stage, and there's like fortified cities, and I mean, this is good stuff here. It's not great stuff, but it's good stuff, right? Look at, what they, look at how they respond. I love this. They answered Joshua, we will do whatever you command us, and we will do whatever you, we're, go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Moses. Whew. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. They don't balk at all. In fact, these two and a half tribes are the first to cross the river. They're the first to walk around the walls of Jericho. They lead the way, the entire conquest part. And notice what they say to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Didn't we hear that just a few verses before? Wasn't God saying that to Joshua too? In Joshua chapter 22, Joshua releases these tribes after they faithfully fulfilled their promise. And it says, so Joshua sent them home. But these two and a half tribes could have easily made a case that, hey, boss, you know, we just got here to this part, this promised land. I mean, we really got to get family. We got to get settled in. I mean, we haven't even unpacked. We've got to plant some crops. I mean, and, and there are people. I mean, there's the Moabites. There's the, these people. And we, we probably ought to have some fortified cities. Like, they could have made a case to do any number of things. But there was one thing that needed to happen. Conquering the land. It was more important than other things. See, not everything in front of you right now is equally important. Sure, you could get settled, you could plant some crops, you could establish some fortified towns, but not when the land needs possessed. Not everything in front of you is equally important. So let me ask a question. What's the most important thing right now? If you could accomplish something in the next two to six months, what would it be? What needs to happen? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying two to, two to six months because anything longer than six months is, a, I got time to do that. That's not, you know, anything less than two months is not enough time to get something significant done. So in the next two to four, two to six months, what needs to be accomplished? What should it be? What's the most important thing right now? And I'll, let me list off some finances. Are there some things financially that need to happen? Is there a house project, an apartment project that just needs to get done? Anything related to school? What about friends and family? What about relationships? Is there a relationship that really needs attention, really needs some repairing? Travel. For those of you that are getting older and every year, oh, we're going to do this, and you don't, right? Uh, let me give, uh, we've got to finish that remodeling project. We've got to get our kitchen back. Our finances are out of control. We've got to have a plan. Are we staying or moving? We've got to put this issue to bed and we've got to solve this once and for all. I need to repair a relationship. The door's closed, they're hurt, they're angry, and I need to open that door again. So again, what is the one thing, what's the one thing that if you were to accomplish it over the next two to six months, would bring about the greatest positive change in your life. I want to make a couple of caveats. One, because I'm a pastor. Two, because I love you. And three, because I read the Bible. 
The first caveat is, it's a mistake to think that God is one box among the many boxes of life. In other words, well, there's school, work, house projects, God, family, vacationing, uh, you know. No, 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 no. God doesn't look at it that way. God doesn't want to be just one box among many boxes in your life, as in, oh, it's Sunday, let's do the God thing now, okay? God, God wants far more than that. Uh, the second caveat is it's a mistake to get God to bless you, bless what you're doing, what you want and what you need if you're giving no care at all to his kingdom and what he wants. Um, there's an interesting passage before the section that we just read, and it's really important, and it sets the context for what we just waded through in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous, for you're the one that will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I'd give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left or the right. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. As I read the Old and New Testaments, God doesn't like playing second, second fiddle to anyone or anything. He doesn't. God wants to be first, right? So there's some stereotypical ways this plays out in our lives, right? We, we can be in a spot where we're like, God, our finances are totally out of control. We have more money going out than we have coming in. And I don't know what to do. We need more income. God, I need you to come through. I need you to provide more income for us. And yet, if someone were to take your checkbook register, your Quicken, whatever you're using, and look for any God entries in the payouts, he's not number one, he's not number two, he's not even on the list. Or relationships, right? Where we're like, God, I need you to repair this relationship. I need you to come through. I need you to fix this. Now, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm mad at them, and I'm not ever. No way, uh-uh, it's not going to happen. But God, make this better. Or, or in the realm of time, here you are today, right? You're right here in this room. You've been given the gift of today. You're here. In the last seven days, you were alive in the last seven days, you were alive. You made it. You're one of the ones that made it here to this moment. And in the last seven days, each, and, each, each of them was a gift just like today is. Did God get any of that time at all? Any of it, right? So again, as we move toward Easter, because we're in this time of Lent, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. I wanted to give you and me an opportunity to stop and think, stop and pray, Stop and listen. Here's why this is important. I live in the same America that you live in. I'm getting 30 gazillion things thrown at me just like you're getting thrown at you all the time. Texts, emails, do this, go there, be here, be this, be that. Blah, blah, blah. Expectations from family, friends, right? It's, you can't do everything that everybody wants to put on your shoulders. You can't. You can't do everything the school system wants you to do with your kids, okay? You can't. Some things, though, are more important than others. The problem with Americans is Americans are spinning their wheels and they're working, working, working. They're busy, but not all of us are busy about the things that matter most. All right? So what's the one thing, what's the one thing that would bring about the greatest amount of positive change? 
And I would add, as we move toward Easter, is there any aspect of your life where you need to, you need to come to terms with, okay, God, yes, you first. You first. But is there one thing, what's the one thing that would bring about the greatest amount of positive change, the one thing that would make the most difference?